Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the 22 Grand Pod podcast. In this episode, we're talking to Tom Woodhead, who is lead singer of the band Forward Russia. Forward Russia were a band that were a big part of the lead scene back in the day and really made the most of their short time together by releasing two albums in the space of three or four years. Tom was able to talk to me on a Friday night in lockdown from his own studio in Wakefield. And using his skills as a mastering engineer, he's able to talk to us using studio quality sound. How's lockdown in, in Wakefield going? It's, I don't know, we live in a really convenient location, to be honest, because um, we live like like a one minute walk away from a pretty, from a Tesco and like, you know, like a five minute walk away from a really big Sainsbury's. So, you know, it's, it's a piece of piss really to not, <laughs> to not leave the house very much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds all right to be fair. So you can join the queue from your house basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Can you give us an idea of how you went from starting the band to releasing your first album? Well, the band, uh, me and Rob, the bass player in the band, were um, uh, in another band called the Black Helicopters, uh, and Whiskers was in a band who who played guitar in the band and was sort of the the brains behind all the music industry side of it. Uh, he he was in a band called La Flam, and uh, we used to go see his band, and he liked our band. And uh, when he wanted to do something new, he asked us if we wanted to. Well, he asked Rob originally if he wanted to do it, and then he couldn't think of another singer, so they ended up asking me. Um, and then, yeah, Katie was obviously his sister, so uh, he, I think he'd been wanting to do something musically with her for a while because you know he knew she was a good drummer. And um, yeah, he ended up asking her, and um, yeah, from that point, I guess we just practiced a lot like it we we treated it quite seriously like we practiced two or three times a week and um because whiskers was really into the music industry side and stuff it always it it was kind of it was fun for the rest of us in that uh we didn't you know we felt like that side of it was all handled by him and we didn't have to get bogged down in it which is half the pain in the ass of being in a band is having to you know do all the logistics uh, and which obviously became a problem later on when there was a load of logistics to do and Whiskers was still doing a load of it and he uh, quite rightly resented us for not doing enough but at the start it was great um, and then yeah I guess we we never we never got signed in inverted commas um, like like bands tended to well were expected to back then I guess um, to release records Um uh well uh, they, they weren't there were loads of bands re- releasing records who, who didn't follow that model but like to release records in the sort of popular domain so we ended up releasing records on whiskers own label because whiskers wanted to start a label as well um and that was dance to the radio who um you know released records for quite a few bands who would probably be on this program like the pigeon detectives and grammatics uh this Atal, i like trains um and loads of other loads of other lead stuff, and uh, yeah, we released the first album ourselves, like just by gradually building up momentum and stuff. And obviously, we had loads of help from management and agents and all that stuff. It's not like we were doing everything ourselves, but um, the label side of it was Whiskers' own label that then grew into a bigger thing. Right. Okay. There seems to be quite a big scene going in Leeds. I mean, we've had Dan from Blackwire on who talked a bit about it, but seems to be a lot going on in Leeds at that point in terms of guitar bands 
Yeah, it was great. And uh, just, it felt like, uh, to a certain extent, a sort you know, a proper scene. Not that there was no like defined musical homogeneity about it. Like all the bands sounded quite different, but there was just a good sort of camaraderie among that group of bands, at least. And I know it didn't encompass all of what Leeds was about at that time. And no scene ever encompasses anything about what any city is about at any given time. But to us, it felt like a, like a sort of tight-knit community. Yeah, yeah. Um, you must remember a lot of bands from back then. Do you have some favourite bands from around that time? Uh, well, d- definitely from, in terms of uh, this Atal, who were like the, um, they were all every band's favourite band, you know, oh, okay, which is, right. um, it's not right what you really want when you're in a band, but uh, <laughs> yeah, th- 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 yeah, they were incredible. Um, Grammatics, I really liked. Uh, they came along a bit later, but uh, I thought they were really great. And I think their album is probably the best record to come out of that scene. Um, and uh, I Like Trains is another one that I really liked um, and still like. And th- there are loads more. Like, uh, like yeah, yeah, it's hard yeah. to list them all here. <laughs> Obviously, like you were unique in in terms of the fact that all your songs were after, named after numbers in the first album. Can you give us a bit of an insight to that and, and what your thinking was behind that? Yeah, it's just it's it's like most things, really. Like no one ever actually thinks these things through the way people assume they do. Uh, it was just that we, that's what we called the songs in practice. Then we played a gig. Uh, okay, right. Uh, just because it was the order we wrote them in, and then we played a gig when that was on the set list, and it just sort of gradually stuck. I never particularly liked it, to be honest. I just thought it was a bit of a gimmick. And, and uh, right, look, yeah. look, looking back, like obviously it's fine. I can see it with outside eyes and it is a gimmick and having a gimmick is fine. But, you know, when you're a precious young, like 20-year-old, uh, yeah. you feel like you're, you're, you know, your artistic prize being wounded or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you formed in 2004. I mean, you worked quite quickly. Is it you had two albums out by 2008? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I don't know if it was two thousand four or, or sort of mid to late two thousand three, but I guess it probably would have gone on. If you got this off Wikipedia, it probably goes on when we played our first gig. Uh, right. Okay. But I, I'm I'm not sure. It might have been two thousand four. I'm not sure. But uh, sorry, sorry. What were you saying? No, I was just saying like, what was the song pro- songwriting process like? Were we just firing out songs, or did someone bring songs to the table? It changed quite a lot. Like the early stuff was mostly an idea that Whiskers had to start with, and um, usually he had he had the guitar part and the bass part sort of worked out for sort of the start of a song, and uh, and we get into the practice room and develop it from there. Um, the re- a couple of really early times, you know, we even sat around in his living room just messing about with it, uh, with no drums or anything. But then, as as we went on, uh, in fact, to be fair, the whole first album. Uh, every, I think pretty much every song uh, started with an idea from Whiskers, apart from maybe thirteen, which started with the uh, the synth part. Okay. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, the 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 they all had varying levels of kind of uh, other people in the band chucking stuff in, but the idea, the initial ideas tended to come from Whiskers, and then the second album was a lot more. Um, well, it, it was it was similar. Uh, but we sp- f- we we sort of wrote in a different way in that we dissected things probably even more than we did before and took more attention over individual parts and also uh there were like i think there were 12 songs on the album and four of them started with my ideas and f- eight of them started with whiskers ideas so 
that that changed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like the reason why you started the band was it, and the style of your music was that influenced by bands around you or bands that you'd liked kind of growing up. Um, it's hard. I mean, I think I think it was a bit of a mishmash to be honest, because uh, I don't think we were influenced by any contemporaries at the start. Um, it was stuff like uh, the old, like Whiskers was into all the sort of um, you know late seventies, eight early eighties post punk stuff, which was popular at the time. Um, you know, stuff like Gang of Four, and yeah, yeah. Um, and that. But then there was more contemporary, like slightly older, but still contemporary stuff like the Rapture, that that sort of we were dimly aware of as things that sounded a bit like us, if that makes sense. Um, but it what it weren't necessarily influences. We 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 sort of what we really liked about this band when we started it was I think uh, both Whiskers and Rob and I were in bands that felt quite constrained in in what they could do in terms of if you, there were a lot of songs that we could write that just wouldn't sound like those bands if that makes sense. So uh, you write a song, you're like, oh, it's a great song, but it's not. It doesn't sound like us, so it's not going to be credible if we play it. It's just going to sound weird. Whereas that, what we liked about Ford Russia at the start was that everything we did just sort of sounded like Ford Russia. And, and when we had ideas, we never had to discount them because it didn't fit into the kind of idiom of of this this band that we'd established. Like, I mean, you could term our old bands both vaguely as sort of garage rock bands to varying degrees. And there's a, there are sort of expectations when you're in a band like that as to almost, even down to kind of what notes you can use like in a melody or what notes you can use in a riff. Uh, and it was nice to not have any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel that it could like progress quite quickly with that kind of style, not having to worry about what it sounded like? Yeah, well, that was that was. I mean, I don't know how quickly we did progress, but we. I, 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 I'm not saying that as a sort of a. Oh, I don't think we progressed quickly. I'm saying I genuinely don't know how quickly we progressed. It's hard. It's hard to keep it in my head. Like when we wrote like four, and when we wrote nine, if that makes sense. I can't. I'm not really sure what the gap between that was in terms of months or whatever. But um, I think there was definitely a sort of sea change when we wrote first seven and then nine, and they were a lot poppier than the stuff we'd been doing, you know, in one to six. And the good thing about naming your songs numbers is that you can very clearly go back and say what song was written at which point, which. I think there's no way I'd be able to remember that otherwise. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, seven and nine were a lot more sort of focused and poppy. And I think from that point, that gave us a sort of uh, a touchstone to build out from. And we could go poppier and we could go less poppy and more intricate, but it was it was a sort of more of a core sound than we had in the first six songs, which which were a bit more... Uh, we experimented a bit more with, with doing different things in those first six, I think. Obviously, like, your songs became... I mean, I remember... You know, all, most club nights I went to would play Forward Russia. Um, so, I mean, you must have gained a bit of a following and had some pretty good high points. It's like the thing, the thing about being in a band is like when you, when you start doing well is that you always, you always uh, look in at the next thing, the next like level up, the next step. So at the time, it's really hard to appreciate what the, the proper high points are because you, you always think that it's going to get better um and that's you know it's a real shame i guess i i don't know if that's just to do with age and you know you feel like you can accomplish anything when you're young or whatever but um 
I don't know. It's it's it it's different every time I think about it. Like um, objectively, it feels like doing Reading and Leeds the the year when we played the um, when we played the Radio One tent was a high point because you know we packed out the tent both days and you know there's probably like ten thousand people each day and it was good and, th- and that was great. But I, I don't know um, the proper high points. A lot of the proper high points are just weird stuff that happens you know on tour like um just like singing stupid songs to each other on the bus or, or you know just just weird stuff. like good memories kind of thing yeah yeah and and the gig and the gigs are great as well but the, we did we played so many gigs like that it's hard to separate them out sometimes you know the stories that stick in, in your mind are things like uh we had uh we had this old van that was always breaking down like really an absolute piece of shit but we owned it so you know we tried to use it as much as we could um and i remember we had a gig in birmingham one night and the van broke down after the gig it was like clear it was not going to work and we had a gig in brighton the next day but um al our tour manager who was driving us around he didn't he was under 25 so it was quite difficult for him to get a license for vans like we had to there was only a few different places that would that would you know give us a that would hire them because you have to be over 25 normally so he ended up having to um get he had to get a coach or a, or a train from birmingham up to glasgow uh to pick up this van and then the next day he drove in the morning from glasgow picked us up in birmingham and then we drove down to brighton for the gig uh so he's driven he's, he's gone he's gone to glasgow at the night slept for about five hours driven down you know all the way from glasgow to brighton <laughs> and this was on the hottest day of the entire year yeah um, you know and and the 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 van didn't have air conditioning or anything it just had yeah, yeah. windows you know so every single person in this van is like in their underwear <laughs> like by the time we get to brighton <laughs> it just absolutely stinks and get yeah and we just get out and, and and play this incredibly sweaty gig in the evening just this really kind of oppressively hot gig and 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 that one sort of stands out as much for the stories around it as it does for the gig itself but that helps you remember the gig as well if that makes sense i remember i've got a memory of you guys playing on a wednesday night leeds festival did that happen or was it a rumor that didn't happen yeah was that yeah the sort of um I think it would have been a Thursday night, wouldn't it? Was it 2007? Yeah, yeah. Like, it yeah the night before. Yeah, that was just after we got we just got back from recording our second album, and it was like the dance to the radio stage. So even though we weren't on dance to the radio by that point, I remember a rumor going around the campsite, and it was like, "Oh yeah, Ford Rush are going to be playing tonight." But I can't remember if that actually happened. <laughs> it, well, it wasn't like I don't think it it wasn't secret or anything. It was it uh, was, was just, it, it was All on right. the lineup. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Was like it was news anyway. <laughs> well, that's yeah, pre pre internet days, I guess. Like things just seem exciting when they're just part of the part of the routine anyway. Yeah, I mean that was a highlight of the year back then, definitely Leeds Festival. <laughs> I was reading on Enemy about when you broke up and stuff, and you'd already already started working in the studio and working producing bands and stuff. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, I, I I'd always been really interested in that, um, and I always really enjoyed being in the studio. Uh, with the band um and you know i would i would bother the producers by asking them things and and giving really inane suggestions and stuff um so so it was something that while we were making the second album which was done over a, a long period of time in a in a really in really nice studios like i sort of i said to myself that i was gonna 
try and do this when we when we got back to the UK because we recorded it in America. Um, and yeah, I just started. I used to go. Um, I used to go on MySpace and just message bands that I liked the sound of and say, "Oh, do you want to record with me?" And occasionally, a band would say yes. Um, and I and yeah, then I started doing live sound at various venues and uh, bits of touring sound and you know more recording. And then I, I eventually got into mastering, which is what I'm doing now. Um, and I've, that's that's why we moved to Wakefield. I've, I've built this mastering studio here. So and just looking briefly back at that, um, is there anything you'd have done differently about those about those early days? I think I think just being a better overall human being, like uh, not 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 because right, okay. when when you when you're kids, you can you can say mean things to people without realizing that you're being mean, or you can um, you can treat people in unnecessarily unpleasant ways. I'm not saying that we were you know, that I was awful to anyone or anything like that, but you, you look back and you, you realize that there are ways you can make things easier for people. Um, and also that there are, there were ways you can make things easier for yourself. You know, I could have, I could have tried harder with various aspects of, um, you know, the admin around the band and made things easier for whiskers or, but, it, but in terms of the, the vague trajectory, you can't really regret any of that stuff because it's just the past, isn't it? And everyone, everyone always says, don't reg-. I mean, I don't think you can regret it purely because, everyone looks back on those on things with nostalgia don't they um if it was at least vaguely good and yeah true you can't really go about regretting it then because that robs you of the ability to be nostalgic about it yeah fair working closely with bands now um and you have been since then uh, how do you see it for new bands now i mean i must admit i don't i mean i i, I obviously deal with bands every single day but i'm not since i moved into mastering i'm i'm working it's a much more detached kind of process so i'm not you know i'm not hanging out with the band for two weeks recording an album or something um uh, okay right but yeah i mean i it, i i wouldn't know where to start to be honest if i had a band now and and that's not saying that it's good or bad i just i genuinely wouldn't know what to do first because it seems like there are there are so many different options when it comes to think just things like it seemed like you never had to think about when we started it you know whether you were going to Things like premiering tracks and stuff, which is something that really new bands do now, isn't it? Um, whereas, what even even as you know, recently as you know, fifteen years ago, you didn't you didn't premiere a track if you were a new band. You just played a lot of gigs for a while, and then maybe you recorded something, and then uh, even even once you'd recorded something, it wasn't. It didn't seem like the process of promotion was quite so codified and stri- and structured as it is now right yeah where, where, yeah. where there, there were all these outlets but there also seemed to be quite um uh laid down tracks into how you into how you promote yourself and, and it makes sense because you're working within facebook and twitter and instagram and these uh you know the, the these systems that have a very defined way of being and a way of doing things so you have to tailor everything you're doing to fit that because that's how people discover music now isn't it um well and playlists and stuff like that but so in answer to your question i I don't really know but it is i think it it is very different thanks for listening to this episode of 22 grand pod if Naughty's guitar music is your thing then you might enjoy our patreon page where for three pound a month you will get access to the following series 
The Naughties Deep Dive, where we go through the likes of the Stalking Pete Doherty documentary in painful detail. My favourite 2000s album, where patrons and other guests come on to talk about their favourite album of the era. Legend or Landfill, in which we go through Enemy's top 10 albums of each year from 2001 and see if we think they are indeed legendary or for the landfill. Unsigned Stories, where we chat to bands that didn't quite make it in terms of signing that elusive record deal. We also have Fan Stories, where I talk to people about their memories and opinions on all things Naughties Indie. You also get early access to any main podcast episodes and it's also worth checking out the youtube page where you can see extended video versions of the interviews as well as plenty of other bits of commentary and opinion all links are in the description now back to the pod i mean it sounds like you guys were quite hands-on back in the day like say if you were on whiskers record label did you get a real taste of what it was like to be on a record label or was it kind of like you say you were just doing it in the way you knew how kind of thing well i I think i think at the time, at the time, I was I was quite chippy about the fact that we were on our own label, and I, I, I and I tried not to say that, but yeah. I, I definitely felt jealous of bands who were on what I considered to be proper record deals. But when you actually look back, I don't think there's much difference. I think most of the time, bands don't get what they're hoping to get out of record deals, and they end up doing just as much work because after the initial buzz dies down um you end up having to do all that stuff anyway because people stop paying for other people to do it for you um and what we actually ended up being able to do was by severely underpaying all of our staff being able to have you know a pretty similar infrastructure uh and and you know that's that that is something i regret actually is that, that we didn't pay the people who work for us more um uh, you know, they were all young like us and they were happy to do it for the meagre money that we we're offering. But I do feel a bit shitty that we paid them essentially poverty wages. Yeah, just because like, if you like you're taking advantage kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because there's always, you know, you're basically preying on the fact that someone really wants to do the job, aren't you? You're saying, you know, if you, you know, if we'll pay you 35 quid a day and, and you get to, you know, come on tour and do sound, which is it's fun when you're at a certain age, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be paid because we did think that the guy who was doing it was like really good and yeah. the best, the best person for our sound. So we should have been paying him more, you know? And just going back to what you're saying about, I mean, I was talking again, I was talking to Dan from Blackwater and it sounds like they're in a similar situation to you. They had a record label that was purely to put their records out. And he was saying he knew a lot of bands that um, were getting signed, but that would get their albums shelved. And um, mm. And that kind of thing was going on. Did you have much experience with bands who, you know, just didn't end up getting the music out kind of thing? Yeah, there were a few like that around in Leeds at the time. Um, it's probably not fair for me to mention names because, you know, if they wanted to talk about it, they can talk yeah, about sure. it. But, but yeah, there were, there were quite a few bands around Leeds at, at that time. And then, and also bands that, um, you know, bands like, uh, there was. do you remember the band Duels? Uh, I'm not sure, no. no. Well, Duels were another band from this era who, you know, ended up releasing a couple of a couple of albums but before that they were a band called Sammy USA and they had that that kind of thing uh of you know recording for uh, on development de- development deals is what they yeah that's what they, saying, yeah. they don't really exist anymore but um uh yeah there were quite a few bands back then having these little development deals and uh I I mean I think one or two of them did end up coming to something but I don't know it's a I guess it's a it's it's a bit more of an idea of labels investing in bands which is almost gone away and bands are 
expected to do their own legwork for that first part. But but at the end, of, at the same rate, a lot of those bands that end up getting signed to development deals seem to be making incredibly safe music. So <laughs> yeah, so we just like got off fashion quite quickly. Well, I, I think I think the bands on on development deals quite often tended to be bands that sounded like slightly poppier versions of things that had just recently been popular. Um, so so they, they get given money for six months to, you know, write songs and do demos and stuff. And, yeah. And then they and then they come back and whether that, that thing might be popular or it might not, but it's not the real deal kind of thing. I think well well and also I think if you give if you give a if you give a band a load of money to make to make some music and they're already like because you've chosen them because they're doing a more accessible poppier version of something that's big at the time and they go away and think oh well this major label's giving me some money so i'd bet we'd better get even poppier and i think that's what often happened is that the bands either they didn't understand that the label wanted hits or they try they tried too hard to get hits it it rarely seemed to be that sort of middle ground where creative stuff happens yeah that's what some are saying too the latest one I've done is with Ross from the Future Heads. And he was saying after their second album, they were getting mixed reviews. And they have this dilemma where it's like, do we try and pander to the audience or do what we want to do? And I guess when you start going down the route of pandering to your audience, it's always going to come short, I guess, do you think? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, it, it's hard. To, uh, it must be even harder nowadays because you're so aware of what everyone thinks of everything you ever do, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's the other thing that's usually changed is, you know, back when, back when we were going and I sound like such an old fart saying this, but it wasn't even that long ago, but, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, you'd, you'd release a record and you'd get maybe, you'd maybe end up reading 20 reviews of it over the course of it being out, you know, on various, in various magazines and on websites and stuff. And that's a part, you know, we had a fan forum that fat, that fans of the band posted on that I'd some that I'd read, but apart from that, that was the only feedback we really got about the records. You know about the, about our music was like people writing reviews, and they they were mostly mostly not incredibly negative. But I mean, I'm sure now, like if you become even slightly popular, you just get dickheads criticizing you all the time, like right to your face. So yeah, that's another thing that's been coming up is like like you say, like the instant reaction and people getting you know, basically people hammering them from day one and it's, it's stopping creativity kind of thing. Well, especially now, like, you know, and the more you do yourself, like the, the worse the neuroses get. So you get some, you get some kid who's done like a, a really nice sort of thing all himself. He's recorded all the instruments. It sounds nice. You know, he's got, he's done some electronic stuff with it or whatever. Yeah. And he puts it up and, and then some, some dickhead who's never done anything is criticizing every element of it from the songwriting to the mixing to you know the sound choices to and they've they've got a platform to do that and and this this guy who's never put anything online before in his life and has never uh has never been brave enough to put it out there is all all of a sudden just got this absolute nobody telling him it's all wrong and i thought and, and unfortunately that's one of the things that happens on the internet is that the people who speak the most quite often know the least. Good point. And yeah, and like to be fair, Dan was saying these days to get people coming up to them back in the day, saying <laughs> saying that Black Wire went a proper band because they had a drum machine, which I find quite funny <laughs> for a uh, yeah, twenty first century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the big thing in this podcast is looking back at that time and seeing if people is obviously 
it seems like a really like golden era for guitar bands now. Did you feel like part of a community back then of, of bands? Uh, definitely in terms of the lead stuff. Um, not so much the broader national sort of... Um, I mean, y- you build up small friendships with, with bands, but all the main, all, most of the main bonds we had were with other bands from Leeds. Okay, right. And did you help each other out? Like I was speaking to... I mean, I suppose it's almost a different scene in London. But with uh, had a podcast with the Paddingtons and the others where you know, they'd help each other out, putting each other on support slots. Was that the kind of same thing in Leeds where you'd help each other out kind of thing? Yeah, well, Whiskers was like, you know, he was like the Tony Wilson of Leeds at that point. So he was like, <laughs> um, he was putting on loads of gigs anyway and he'd put on loads of all dayers and stuff like that. And he, we were releasing, Dance the Radio was releasing compilations of, you know, with like 20 bands on and stuff like that. So it very, very much felt like uh, a community uh, based, well, for us, it was a community based around Dance the Radio. Okay, right. And obviously, if you look forward to 2013, when you you get like reformed for some gigs, uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it was, um, it was Nath who runs the Brudenell, uh, Nath and Clark. Um, oh, yeah. They wanted to do something to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Brudenell. Um, and just kind of i think independently managed to get me and whiskers quite drunk and agree to it like at, at different times like not that he was getting as drunk but he managed to catch us both in the brudenell after we've had a few drinks and independently say well if he's up for it i'm up for it uh, uh kind of thing and we both did and then which is you know quite disrespectful to katie and rob to be honest um who are you know, equally important members of the band uh, but we then, I think, asked them if they'd also be up for it. And so we did it, and it was fun. Okay. And did you, like, remain mates in that time kind of thing? Oh, yeah, there was no big falling out or anything like that. Um, I see I see Rob, you know, quite a lot. Look, Rob's been, you know, one of my biggest mates since we were, like, 11, so... Okay, right. And had you been writing music in that time? Uh, yeah, uh, various bits. I, I tried to do bits of music on my own occasionally and never came up with anything I was particularly happy with, and... I definitely consider myself retired from making music now. Uh, Whiskers has done a lot more than me. He's played guitar on various records and he released a solo album. Um, and Katie's done bits and pieces, uh, but I don't think any of the bands she's done anything with have released. Or, but I think I think we were we were quite burnt out to be honest by the end by the end of Ford Russia because we we went at it so hard for those four years, um, especially uh, sort of two thousand five and two thousand and six. I think. One, you know, there was one year where we played more than two hundred gigs. So it was, it was like, basically, if you if you weren't playing a gig, you were usually traveling somewhere. Um, and if you weren't traveling somewhere, and you were at home, you were sort of collapsed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, but we still. I mean, to be fair, we still ended up going out to gigs on the nights we were home, which seems incredible now. I can't imagine going doing that. But uh, yeah. I, I, it was just like incredibly hard work and it felt like every single waking moment was taken up by the, by the band, which, you know, I I don't, as I say, I don't regret it and I wouldn't change it because it's a, it's a unique thing to experience and it was a great part of my life. But, um, I think it was just, everyone was, uh, just burnt out by the whole experience. Yeah. So five years off playing, playing gigs again. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't sure, um how i mean i i was fairly confident that we'd at least sell out the brudenell because i just thought we had enough people that would want to come whiskers wasn't as confident but then we ended up selling it out in like half a day so so that was of you know straight away that was like right 
people are interested. Let's try and uh, remember how to play these fucking songs. <laughs> so yeah, um, and, and and we and we didn't play the greatest gig of our lives. You know, we weren't the tightest, but it was just nice to. And because as well, everyone in that room, they were the people who really loved the band. You know, uh, from all around the country and some people from Europe. It just like sort of probably seventy, eighty percent of the people that that loved Forward Russia the most in one room. It was it was really nice. And then you played another gig the year after. Is that right? Yeah, and to be honest, we we weren't gonna do it, but it was like Andy who um, was booking the uh, live at Leeds for Future Sound was like, "Oh, do you want to do it?" And we thought, oh. and it was like once they said it was at the Town Hall, that was a bit of a draw, and then they offered us quite good money to do it. So, right. So that so and that and that was a nice second gig. It didn't feel like we'd ruined it. Yeah. Okay, but was there any temptation to carry on and make music? Was that ever talked about? Not really, I don't think. I, I think, I think we lead. We all lead like two different lives to do it now. Like, uh, um, both Whiskers and I have kids, and Kate is pregnant and has a kid on the way. And Rob, uh, Rob, you know, Rob works at a school and has a pretty, you know, important job there. And we, it's just, I guess, it just feels like. If I if we were going to do stuff, I would want to. I would want it to be really good, and I don't think we ha- have enough time to make it really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and I guess we move back to to what you're doing now, really, Tom. I mean, I've seen some names that you've worked with, like like the Cribs. Can you give us a bit of an insight to working with them? I always feel a bit of a fraud for saying I've worked with the Cribs because I, I mean, I, I have worked with the Cribs, but I, I basically did all the, um, I mastered all the B sides from. Um, I don't think it was the last album. What was the last album they did? Rockstar, twenty four seven Rockstar. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, not that one. The one, be- the, the yeah, the, the the really poppy one they did. Um, okay, right. Uh, yeah. So I mastered all the B sides from that and like the bonus tracks and stuff like that. Um, ah, cool. So that's how I ended up working it. But but no, we've known those guys for ages because they um, some of our earliest gigs were with them. And and in fact, my old band played a couple of a gig with them as well. So. And uh, it was nice to work with them, and and honestly, they are they are some of the nicest people in music. Yeah, yeah, it's what Dan was saying. I mean, they keep coming, keep cropping up on the podcast, but they definitely seem like a band who are really keen to um, have that community thing with bands yeah, and help I mean, each it, other out. Don't get me wrong; some some of the most fucked up, like in terms of being pissed people in music as well, I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. But um, yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, they, they, it was always great fun when you were with them because it just. When you, whenever you were playing gigs with the Cribs, it just felt like anything could happen. It felt, <laughs> it felt, um, it felt on the edge. It felt yeah. like uh, it could go badly wrong, but it could also be really funny and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think does Ross still live in Wakefield? I think he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 and I, I never see him, but um, I'm always grateful because he occasionally sends bands my way uh, oh, for, right. for work. Cool. So yeah. So like to a novice like me, Tom, can you just quickly describe what you're doing? So you're not producing. So you like touching up the record once it's been produced. Yeah, basically, yeah. So, um, so especially for albums, like the mastering is really important in that you've got ten mixes and they might all sound great on their own, but they don't necessarily sound like one record, one cohesive whole. So, mastering is the process of getting those ten mixes and making them sound like a cohesive record. You know, so that there are no big jumps in volume. There are no um there's not one really bright song and one really dark song uh sonically not like in, emotionally 
uh, and and just making sure that it will sound good in on different kinds of speakers and different uh, listening environments. Like it might it might sound great in the room it was mixed in, but it might not sound great, um, you know, on a big PA or on small speakers. And you try and um, as much as you can account for the difference in these things. And basically, I have a room here that's just. As, as neutral listening environment as you can possibly get um right and i i tweak things to make it to make it so that in most places it will sound better you might have already touched on this but um have you carried on making music uh no i mean i try i try i try well i i, I sort of did a bit like very very straight after the band like just some electronic stuff but um no I, i've i've tried I've, I've occasionally tried writing stuff and I, i've just kind of come to the conclusion that I'm done with music for now. Well, who knows? But um, yeah, I can't see it. I I, I just I, I still write words though. I, I like writing. You know, just just uh, okay. I just like writing. But um, the, like the music thing, I always I always find found it really hard without anyone to bounce stuff off. And me and Whiskers were a really good kind of songwriting team. I think in that we had quite different um, ideas of what um not 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 of aesthetics where i think we were relatively close but sometimes musically we we had different ideas in that i would quite often go for more obvious um sort of emotional chord changes and he would he would prefer something a bit more um unexpected and we it i think i think we worked well together in that we complemented each other's strengths and weaknesses um and and i and i always found it E- really easy to either start an idea or finish an idea and I can't I could never do both so I put a question in about <laughs> whether you got a, a funny story I did put Liam on Noel Gallagher just because you found at the time they were kind of picking on new bands so you found that some funny stories going around about them I, I don't I, I don't have any I, we never I never met them I mean I was a huge Oasis fan when I was a kid so it's a shame but um yeah yeah the view yeah this this was um the view we played with in in dundee uh was it dundee yeah that's where they're from i think isn't it? is that that is where they're from right uh, yeah we played with the view in dundee um and it'll be interesting maybe you can get their side of this if you ever have them on this program because they seem like the kind of band who would be on here right <laughs> yeah 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 um, yeah and uh honestly like i they seem like nice lads but they were just like they were all like 15, 16 years old or something. Or it seemed that way. Maybe they weren't. But um, they seemed nice enough. But they, they were like, a, it was a four band bill. And I think they were on second. We were headlining. And there was a band on after them as well. But they, they, basically, they, they, we had a dressing room, you know, that had all a rider and all of our stuff in it. And the promoter basically came in and said, don't let the view in your dressing room. Don't let them in. Just don't let them in. Don't let those lads in. They'll fuck it up. They'll steal all your shit. We were like, uh, no one had ever said anything like that to us about a band ever. So we were a bit like weirded out by it. Yeah. And, uh, and then they and then they come in and they seem nice enough and they're just chatting to us. But we're being a bit standoffish because the promoters literally just told us not to let them in. <laughs> so right. they eventually, I guess, I guess get get the messages of us being weirded out by what the promoter said and, and and they're not there and um yeah they, they play their set so they're second on and then uh the main support who i can't remember who it was play and we go on 
and basically some so, so the view had all these like mates with them like all these 15 16 year old kids like probably about a group of 40 50 of them and the venue was maybe 300 capacity something like that okay uh, of 250 and uh, and 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 some they broken into the kitchen of this venue somehow Right. So they had a load of like onions and frozen food and stuff, and they were just lobbing it at the stage, <laughs> okay. like all all these kids. Um, but while I you thought, were playing, I, yeah, while we were playing, yeah, and this, this like uh, an entire like raw onion the size of a baby's head just whacked me in the temple, <laughs> like like in the, like the second song, or whatever. I honestly, and I also I thought it was fucking funny because these, you know, they, they they were they weren't booing, you know, they were sort of being jubilant while throwing shit. Yeah, and, yeah, and you never quite lose that impulse, do you? Like that you have when when bullies start bullying you, that you uh, that you try and play along and, and act like it's funny. <laughs> yeah. like, so so maybe that maybe that plays a part of it as well. But anyway, the whole gig was a bit weird like that. And then afterwards, we find out that they'd that the View had done a quote unquote gorilla gig in the toilet during our set as well, right. and um, and uh, some someone had ripped a urinal off the wall and they'd left the place in a right state. Jesus. And that's in the hometown. <laughs> yeah, well, and then and, and we didn't think that much more of it. But then this band that that was apparently the gig that ended up getting them signed. Like they had, um, was it James Endicott? Uh, okay, right. I think that was the guy's name. I think he was up there for that, and he, uh, they signed they signed to whatever label it was just after that. Um, and then they had a piece in the NME, like a couple of months later or a few weeks later, and they just basically spent the entire thing slagging us off. <laughs> like it was like and we sort of well, just about that gig ju- yeah just saying oh they were so up themselves they were such dickheads they were you know they were <laughs> like uh, um and and we we sort of half knew the journalist who had interviewed them and and he and he said oh i'm sorry about it but uh it was basically all they talked about <laughs> <laughs> so and, and again i don't know if that's true and i and, and to be honest I'm, I'm sure they're all totally nice lads and and we'd get on fine now but it just it was the only time we ever came close to having a feud with anyone it was very one-sided because they just seemed to fucking hate us and we didn't really have that much of a problem with them <laughs> maybe they're a bit like you now looking back and thinking bloody hell we're a bit well I'm, I'm sure they are and, I'm, and 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 i'm sure they i'm sure it was a really brief thing for them as well where they just had that one interview where they slagged us off and we ended up seeing it but I'm sure it wasn't like they were sitting around every day fucking slagging forward rusher off. (laughs) 